Well, welcome. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2, based on the announcements, I am, uh, just want to make an announcement. I'm going to be changing my name to Randall Goodgame. Um, that is maybe the coolest name I've ever heard. So Pastor Randall Goodgame will be the new uh, thing we're going with. And uh, we are in a different season. So let me sort of set up where we're going over the next few weeks and why we're doing this thing, Advent Conspiracy. This is our third year doing it. And it's a thing that a lot of churches around the, nations do, the nation uh, churches do. And the idea is, if this whole story, if this whole Christmas thing is actually true, if God came in human form as an infant, um, it's, it's a radical story. It's a vulnerable story. And it should cause us to, especially as, as Western Christians, American Christians, it should cause us to rethink, uh, to reevaluate how we do this season. And so some of the things we're going to do is, we, in, in worship, we're going to try and slow down a little bit during this season. Um, cause us to think a little more slowly. We're going to take communion each week. And I'll explain that a little bit at the end. But we are going to remember to stop and actually pause and remember the good news. And uh, we want this Advent season. I don't know about you. We, we talk about Advent. You know, Advent is the start of the Christian calendar. There's, there's a thing called the Christian calendar. And Advent is the start of it because we look back at when Jesus came. And uh, as Christians today, we look towards Jesus coming again, as that video said at the very beginning. That we are almost sort of like the first century uh, Israel who is saying we need a Messiah, we need a deliverer. Now as the church, we're saying we're in the last days and we look for the time when Jesus will come back and make things right again. To restore all things. We're in that place and that's what Advent does for us. And I don't know about you, when I think about Advent, when I think about this Christmas season, I love it. Is anybody with me? Can I get an amen? I love Advent for what it truly is. I love the simplicity. I love the idea of peace. I love the story of God coming in human form and it doesn't skip over the messy part. That there was actually somebody who was pregnant with this God child, who birthed the God child. I love the whole of that story, but here's the deal. The next four weeks in my life generally look nothing like that, right? If we're really honest, if you're honest with me, the next four weeks in your life look nothing like that. Your calendar is full. It's busy. It's loud. It's chaotic. It's shopping malls. It's debt. It's this whole list of things that, that seem to be contrary to the story that we're talking about, right? If we're really honest. And so how do we, as people who are trying to follow Jesus Christ, lean into this story? So what we're going to do during this season is a little different. We are going to do a look at Matthew 2 and Luke 2. And we're going to look at the different characters who journey towards Bethlehem. And we're going to try and put ourselves in their story and say, what does it look like for their story to sort of be our story? Because it is. I think when we talk about Advent, there's two realities that all of us know to be true. One is, we're all waiting the word Advent means to wait. When we think about this story and we look at these texts, we, we see people that are waiting. And if we're honest here, we are all waiting. We're waiting for something to change. We're wait, waiting for something to be made right. We're waiting to be forgiven. We're waiting to forgive. We're waiting for something to happen. The other piece is I think we're all on a journey. Just like in the first century, you see these different people. You see the shepherds and the magi and Mary and Joseph. They're all journeying towards Bethlehem. 
Something's going to happen in Bethlehem that will change all of their lives. And from different places with different stories, when they interact with the Christ child, their life has changed. And the idea of journeying and waiting is the norm of Scripture. I think it's the norm of our lives. In the Old Testament, after Israel is freed from Egypt, they go out into the wilderness for how long? Shout it out. 40 years. Waiting to go to the promised land. That's a long time to wait. Jacob waited 14 years for Rachel. Do you imagine that being an engagement? Get engaged. Let's just wait 14 years. It's a long time, right? Israel in the first century, they're waiting for the Messiah to come and free them from Roman oppression. Waiting is a normal part of what it looks like to do life. And for those of us here this morning, we're waiting too. Waiting for a spouse, waiting for a job, waiting for a child, waiting for a child to come back to God. Maybe just waiting for God. Maybe you're here this morning, the only reason you're here this morning is you think there's actually a God, and hopefully this morning, that will become real and true to you. Maybe that's what you're waiting for this morning. You see, these texts are real people with real stories interacting with this God child. What I hope for us during this series, that we do the exact same thing. Even as we wait for the second coming, that there is something about waiting and journeying towards Bethlehem and interacting with Jesus as a child, as an infant. And what does that speak into our stories? This morning what I want to do, I want to give a quick overview of Matthew 2 and Luke 2 and begin to help you and help me imagine what it would be to be the different characters in this story. So if you have your Bible, Matthew 2 will start in. It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. By the way, one of the things that we have to name is this is a time of kings and kingdoms. It's a little different than today. It's a time of kings and kingdoms and war. And people that claim to be king in a kingdom that already exists are radicals. And if you claim to be kingdom in a kingdom that already exists, what will the current king do? Try to kill you. Verse 2. These guys asked, the Magi asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And you can hear a little bit of sarcasm in their life. They, like the, we heard there's a child that's been born. The people are already saying is king of the Jews. By the way, we serve the real king and we're coming. And something's going to happen. We saw the star when it rose and we have come. Put sarcasm in there. We have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Then Herod called the Magi. The Magi are part of the elite They're part of those in power. They're part of those who have prestige. They're people today when we talk about Jesus, we talk about a king, we talk about one who has come to forgive and the posture often is, I don't need that. I have all I need. 
In fact, something, something that may be claiming to be king in my life, it, in fact, it maddens me. The Magi are people of power. And it says that they, they call, uh, then Herod called the Magi and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for this child as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go. And again, sarcastic, worship him. He doesn't want to worship him. He wants to kill him. Now jump in your Bible to so Luke chapter 2. So we're going to talk about the Magi. We're actually going to talk about the Magi next week. It's, I think it's going to be a really intriguing conversation for us to have. Luke chapter 2 says this in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Sometimes we skip over verse 1, but you've got to stop and say, the reason he's taking a census is because he wants to know how big his kingdom is, how in control he actually is, how much power and prestige he has. This is the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. And then here's the next one. So Joseph. We're going to look at Joseph. This, this character whose life is turned upside down. What he thought was going to happen has changed. God is calling him. This interaction in Bethlehem, this, this interaction with the Christ child, who would be on some level his son, changes his life. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary. We've all heard Christmas stories about Mary, and we're going to do Christmas stories about Mary again this year. But I think the place where we see our story in Mary is that just as Mary has the presence of God in her, and she births something new, she, she brings hope to the world, we are called to do the same thing. And so we're going to say, what does it look like for people who profess Jesus Christ to do the same type of thing? To carry the presence of God in us and to bring that to the world around us. So he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child while they were there. The time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to the firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. Shepherds may be my favorite one because I think it's a lot of us. The shepherds are just the normal people doing life. Like they're working their job. They're taking care of their family. They're mowing the lawn with whatever they mowed the lawn in the first century. They're just normal. They're paying bills. They're trying to, to make it, make do. And they have an interaction that changes their life. In fact, it keeps reading, and I didn't put this up on the, the screen, but we have to read down through verse 10. And it says, they're out in the field, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. This is probably the greatest verse in the whole narrative. Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Isn't that good? Good news, great joy for who? For Magi, for Mary, for Joseph, for the shepherds, for every person sitting in this room today. This story is for you. My prayer during this season, 
this year, 2015, that you will hear and see and experience in new ways. That God will speak something into your life that you need during this time. And to do that in this first week, I want to give you four words as we leave. Four words as we walk towards communion. The first word is simply this. The idea of journey. The little picture under uh, the idea of journey, the, the, the image I couldn't get out of my mind this week is Frodo and Sam. Who has not seen Lord of the Rings? Okay, you all need to take communion twice to repent of your sins. The greatest trilogy of all time. But this, this epic adventure that they go on bringing this ring to, I believe it was Mordor, right? I mean, it, it's just, it's beautiful, it's intense, it's, it's up and it's down. And I think the journey that we are on during this season, to name that God actually came as an infant, should be just as crazy. That our lives... If you really encounter the living God who came as an infant, your life cannot be the same. The idea of journey. Second word is expectation. These are all connected. But this season, and then when we talk about Advent, we often talk about the idea of expectation. That we believe, we know Something is going to happen. That we are going to in it encounter the Christ child, this king as an infant. And we believe God is going to do something in our lives. Third word is this. And this is very much connected to communion each week, is that we prepare. That as we begin this season, that you honestly Prepare. That you name what you're waiting for. Name what you're expecting. Maybe it's some sin and shame that you can't say out loud that God simply wants you to say to him during this season as we walk to the table. You prepare. This season is all about, I think, the idea of honesty and vulnerability. And we're divided into that place. Last one is simply this. That you expect that you will encounter the living God. You expect that you will encounter the living God. That you're going to meet Jesus. And there's no way that you can be the same. I think it's a little bit of like what it looks like for us to come together in worship. That this room full of different people with different stories, with different narratives, that we're coming, expecting, hoping, maybe fearing that we're going to meet God. And I think for the majority of us, we, we know when we meet God, when we interact with the living God, our life has to be changed. I believe. When you interact with the God who came as a child in human form, fully God, fully infant, God wants to speak something into your life. We're on this journey to Bethlehem together. That we're honest, that we're vulnerable, that we're actually open, that God might do, speak, say something into our lives that needs to be said. Each week what we're going to do, it's going to look the same each week, 
at the end of my message, I'll let you know that we're going to be walking into communion. And I'll do my normal prayers I do at the end of the message. And parents, any parents that want to go get their kids and bring them in for communion, we fully welcome that here at Crossview. And uh, so during this time, I'll pray. Then we're going to sing the doxology each week. Um, parents, feel free to go get your kids. Also during that time, we want this to be a time where you commune with God, where you are vulnerable, vulnerable, where you are open, where you are confessing your sin as we walk towards communion. That there's a loving God who wants to hear you, who wants to interact with you, who wants to forgive you. So let's pray. Father, God, as we as a community enter into this season, as we take this meal together this morning, God, I, I get the sense that you are up to something amongst us. Something good, something about redemption and restoration and hope. So God, we open our hands and we lay out what we are waiting for, what we are expecting, what we're afraid of. We give it to you. We ask you to meet us there. We ask you to forgive us there. For this in your name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.